Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I am your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas. This is a pre-recorded show which will be uploaded for your listening edification on the evening of Monday, August the 17th, 2020. You can listen live each Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is our 17th post-COVID show, A New World, But the Same Place. So stay tuned. But first, as we do before every bringing light into darkness show, we first go to war. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis, with your host, Pedro Gattos. Good evening. We now turn to the content of tonight's show. The character of a nation is not revealed by the rhetoric of its leaders, but rather by the deeds it promotes and safeguards regarding the quality of life for its majority population. And importantly, the character of a nation is shaped by the rates of wealth inequality and income inequality. We have been in the midst of months of racial injustice protests that were initiated by the killing of George Floyd. There is no such thing as a lesser human being, but increasingly, the unacceptable quality of life of the majority population in the United States, the wealthiest nation of the world, suggests a failing system. The underlying tinderbox of injustice that blacks have disproportionately been victimized by over the last 400 years is clear and documentable, and it is connected primarily by the great racial wealth divide. But it is not just African Americans that are increasingly being left behind. According to Ray Dalio, he's founder of Bridgewater Associates LP, it's the world's biggest hedge fund, he wrote a piece on April 16, 2019, in Market Watch entitled Hedge fund billionaire Ray Dalio says capitalism needs urgent reform. 
And several of the points include, one, capitalism has developed into a system that is promoting an ever-wider wealth gap that puts the very existence of the United States at risk. The system has produced little or no real income growth for most people since 1980 after adjusting for inflation. The percentage of children who grow up to earn more than their parents has fallen to 50% from 90% in 1970. And the wealth gap is at its widest point since the late 1930s, with the top 1% owning more than the bottom 90% combined. He also cites that most people in the bottom 60% are poor, and about 40% of all Americans would struggle to raise $400 in the event of an emergency. He says this citing a recent Federal Reserve study. So an important point, which should be self-evident, is that power begets power. In the second half of the audio clip that we're going to be listening to to start the show refers to how power in wealth ownership begets power. That the probability to succeed goes up exponentially with increasing amounts of wealth. It takes money to make money. How the government and its laws enables the maintenance and expansion of wealth inequality as if that was its primary function and reason to be. Our guest, Michael Gray, the former Sunday business editor at the New York Post, clarifies and speaks primarily to the transfer of wealth to the top 1% that the first half of the Business Insider clip details. He will join us following this nine-minute clip, which we will play shortly. So here's a July 28th, 2020 Business Insider piece. It was produced and edited by Hyatt Woods of Business Insider. It's a YouTube on how billionaires got richer during the pandemic. It basically details that billionaires in the United States have increased their net worth, that's their wealth, by some $637 billion during the COVID pandemic so far. That's over just a three-month period, really, from March to June of 2020. Meanwhile, 40 million Americans filed for unemployment during that same period, during the, the pandemic period of time we're talking about. I think this reveals the character of the, of the systemic changes that are needed. Let's see what you think. This is the unemployment rate during the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos's net worth during that same time span. From March to June 2020, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos saw his wealth rise by an estimated $48 billion. The founder of the video conferencing platform Zoom grew his nest egg by over $2.5 billion. And former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer's net worth increased by $15.7 billion. These kinds of examples might lead you to think that when billionaires profit during a crisis, it's just a matter of right place, right time. Well, that's not false, but it's not entirely true either. Casino magnate Sheldon Adelson saw his wealth increase by $5 billion, while Elon Musk saw an increase of $17.2 billion. When you add up the numbers, billionaires in the United States have increased their total net worth $637 billion during the COVID-19 pandemic so far. At the same time, more than 40 million Americans filed for unemployment. With tens of millions of Americans out of a paycheck, and the stock market plummeting by 37% in March, how is it that the rich have continued getting richer? This isn't the first time billionaires have seen gains while a large portion of Americans were feeling losses. When the housing bubble burst in 2007, home prices fell 
and roughly 3.1 million homes were foreclosed on in the United States. The stock market plummeted by over 50%, and by the end of 2009, 8.8 million Americans had lost their jobs. And the effects lingered. From 2009 to 2012, the incomes of the bottom 99% grew by only 0.4%. But the income of the top 1% grew by a staggering 31.4% in the same time span. And it all ties back to two things. First, the government disproportionately gave more aid to banks and corporations. In 2008, the Emergency Economic Stabilization Act was signed into law, creating a $700 billion program to purchase devalued assets from banks. This was called the Troubled Asset Relief Program, or TARP. Later, President Obama would direct $75 billion in funds from TARP to help reduce interest payments for homeowners. That means homeowners received around 10% of the direct relief that banks and corporations did. And this leads to reason number two. When the stock market bounced back, the unequal bailouts meant that the wealthy still had money on hand to invest and thus profit, while the middle and lower classes did not. In 2008, the Federal Reserve lowered short-term interest rates to near zero. They would remain that low for nearly a decade. This paved the way for a historic bull market on Wall Street that began in 2009 and lasted until March 2020, when the pandemic hit. In that time, the S&P 500 gained 462%. That means that a $1,000 investment in the S&P 500 at the low point of the financial crisis could have returned roughly $4,620, while someone who could afford a $1 million investment could have pulled in over 4.6 million. By 2009, the world's high net worth individuals had grown their share of global wealth by 19% to 39 trillion, recouping nearly all of their losses in a single year. That quick recovery and larger share of the world's wealth enabled them to continue to make money at an exponential rate. In fact, the top 1% captured 95% of the income gains made from 2009 to 2012. And by 2020, the combined wealth of the billionaire class in the United States had increased by over 80%. Which brings us back to the moment when the coronavirus pandemic rocked the economy. In 2019, the Fed reported that 4 in 10 Americans didn't have enough cash in their bank accounts to cover a $400 unexpected expense. And in the first few months of 2020, 40 million Americans found themselves unemployed due to COVID-19. Many small businesses had to close due to lockdowns and social distancing, while others were forced to try to operate with entirely remote staff. The Small Business Administration made $349 billion available to small businesses with the Paycheck Protection Program. But like in 2008, 243 million of that was snapped up by large publicly traded corporations, some of which were valued at over $100 million. Even hedge funds submitted claims to try to tap into what they saw as free money. On March 16, 2020, just five days after COVID-19 was declared a pandemic, the Dow suffered the worst single-day points drop in its history. But by June 4th, seven of the world's richest people had seen their fortunes increase by over 50%. Part of what made this possible was a stock market rebound, fueled both by the Paycheck Protection Program and actions by the Fed. Again, the Fed lowered short-term interest rates for banks to near 0%. And as before, they have promised to hold those rates low until the economy is on track. This is a cycle that has happened time and time again. During the earthquake in Haiti in 2010, only 2.5% of the 195 million of relief funds went to Haitian companies. 
Much of the rest was awarded to DC-based construction companies. And when Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans in 2005, real estate developer Joseph Canizaro said the clearing out caused by Katrina represented some very big opportunities. Canizaro was selected as part of a panel to develop the Bring New Orleans Back plan, part of which put a stop on reconstruction of low-income neighborhoods until the residents returned. Of course, residents couldn't return to their destroyed homes, and many were foreclosed on, paving the way for others to buy those properties and develop them. When the time did come to rebuild New Orleans, the engineering and construction company KBR received no-bid contracts from the federal government for tens of millions of dollars. KBR received $31 billion in contracts from the government between 2001 and 2010. Vice President Dick Cheney served as CEO of KBR's parent company Halliburton for the five years leading up to his two terms in office. Combined with their immense investing and purchasing power, billionaires have had government resources in addition to their own resources to profit from during economic upheavals. And wealth-friendly tax laws and loopholes then keep those billionaires at the top. Legal structures such as limited liability companies protect personal assets from being repossessed to pay the debts from business downturns. As it's set up today, IRS rules allowed Amazon to pay $0 in taxes two years in a row. When its bill finally came due in 2019, it paid just $162 million, a measly 1.2% of the company's income that year. And it's not just Amazon. Taxes paid by billionaires have decreased 79% since 1980. And those are just the legal avenues that the wealthy take to avoid paying taxes. In 2017, researchers estimated that about 10% of the world's GDP was stashed in offshore tax havens. A study in 2012 found that as much as 32 trillion was being held offshore by the world's wealthiest people. So after reviewing all this, what can be done to help level the playing field? A recent report by the Institute for Policy Studies lays out several action items. It suggests forming a pandemic profiteering oversight committee that would go beyond the oversight of federal stimulus money. It also supports the Corporate Transparency Act, which would create stronger regulations to prevent US billionaires from using shell corporations to hide their income. After the House passed the bill in 2019, it was introduced in the Senate, but has not been brought to a vote. Other suggestions include an emergency 10% millionaire income surtax, a stimulus package aimed at funding charities, instituting a wealth tax, and reducing the amount allowed by the gift and estate tax. Last, and perhaps most importantly, the report underscores the need to shut down the global hidden wealth economy. The US alone is estimated to lose nearly $200 billion in tax revenues to offshore havens each year. That's roughly three times the amount of all the money budgeted for the Department of Education in 2021. Changes like the ideas above are global in scale and require political cooperation to become reality. If the relationship between wealth and income inequality are ever going to change, it's going to require all of us. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. And this is your community radio station, KOOP.org. 
91.7 FM here in Austin, Texas. We are pre-recording our show. Today is Friday, August the 14th. 2020. And we will be broadcasting the show on Monday, August the 17th. 2020. At uh, 6 p.m. We are blessed to have with us Michael Gray. Michael is a former Sunday business editor at the New York Post, and his blog can be found at grayseconomy.com. Michael, I've been following your work. I'm interested. I've learned that uh, income is important, but a greater indice of importance is actually wealth. Once you take your total assets and you juxtapose that with your total debts, that's your wealth. And the work that I first came across of yours was back in 2016, and I wanted to get to a couple of issues that you brought up in that regard. But first, I also wanted to highlight, we're going to be listening to a podcast of sorts from Business Insider that was published just a week or two ago, back on July 28, 2020, how billionaires got $637 billion richer during the pandemic. It really does kind of set out what you had identified back in your work in 2016, and it indicates that as of the writing back in July of 28, uh, 2020, there were some 40 million Americans that filed for unemployment during the pandemic. That was March to June of 2020. Billionaires saw their net worth increase by a half a trillion dollars. And this was not the first time billionaires have seen gains while others dealt with losses. And according to the to the piece that we heard, one of the main culprits was kind of the government disproportionately giving more aid to banks and corporations. So we've got a president, President Trump, in which we are anticipating the acceleration of this wealth disparity. But I wanted to start off by going back to your piece, which I first came across, as I said, back in 2016. It was the numbers behind the greatest wealth Transfer Ever by Michael Gray, January 20th, 2016. And the original piece, I think, came out on the 11th of that same month when you were talking about this wealth transfer. You had highlighted that the greatest transfer of wealth the world has ever seen, or at least our country has ever seen, was occurring under the most progressive, quote-unquote, government we've had in in decades, namely the Obama-Biden administration and that it was facilitated by the Federal Reserve and quantitative easing programs. You were indicating that there was some $4.5 trillion that actually got transferred, mainly from the middle class to the very upper echelons. Can you elaborate first about that period of time and over that administration, the actual transfer that you were referring to before we speak to the issues that are in front of us today? Certainly, and uh, thank you, Pedro, for having me on. Um, I think the easiest way to sum it up is former um, President Obama's uh, chief of staff, Ron Emanuel, is famously quoted as saying, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. So when we came out of the 2008 crash caused by, you know, mortgages going south, the Obama administration, through its Federal Reserve operations, released $4.5 trillion dollars over the course of his administration to the banks to facilitate, to basically keep the ATMs running. They were so crippled by the Ponzi scheme of reselling mortgages and and creating new mortgages, you know, on such flimsy information, uh, you know, like you didn't even have to prove you were uh, 
working at the time to get a mortgage. So we saw zero, zero percent uh, interest rates. The banks were just uh, getting money free. And it's essentially doubled our, uh, uh, our national debt over the course of from 2008 to 2015. So all that is on our, on our dime. We bailed the banks out. No one else did. But you saw no economic growth. Wages were depressed, you know, flooding the market with all that money, and it never got to us. Can you elaborate, excuse me for interrupting, but elaborate a little bit more like when you say it's on our dime. Basically, what you're saying is this is ultimately paid by U.S. taxpayer dollars, right? That's basically Correct. Okay. And that's why I call it, I never called that period of time the Great Recession. I called it the Great Fleecing. Mm-hmm. Because basically that's what we, you know, the Federal Reserve, with the Obama administration's blessing, just allocated all this money, $4.5 trillion, to Wall Street banks, smaller banks as well, and we have to pay for it. It's interesting to me, too, also, Michael, that it's an international affair as well. In your piece, you actually, back in 2016, alluded to something that I keep track of pretty closely due to the integrity of, of its research, namely the Oxfam group puts out an annual report, actually more often than that, they put out different work group reports, but this Oxfam 2016 report was entitled An Economy for the 1% back in January of 2016. It said, the richest 1% now have more wealth than the rest of the world combined. A global network of tax havens further enables the richest individuals to hide $7.6 trillion. The top 62 individuals back in 2015 had the same wealth as 3.6 billion people, which is a half the world population at the time. And since the turn of the century, the poorest half of the world's population has received just 1% of the total increase in global wealth, while 50% of that increase has gone to the top 1%. What's stunning to me is, you know, when you watch regular old TV movies and stuff on ships and the ship is going down and you just have a couple of lifeboats, it's always what? They have the children and the elderly and the women first. You know, here in our culture, it's the richest first. It's completely stood on its head. Can you elaborate a little bit on the importance of the world economy parallels here? Uh, Wealth disparities that this is increasing in the significance of that? Oh, certainly. You know, it's, it's a haves and the have-nots. And it's, it's, it's just growing every, every day, the, the bifurcation of, of society. Um, you know, even, even now, you know, you can look at it. You make reference to the Business Insider uh, piece, podcast. You know, people are lining up. I, I just read a story today in Dallas, Texas. Thousands of cars lining up for a food bank. Mm-hmm. And then you turn around and you see Jeff Bezos made $19 billion. What, I, the number escapes me right now, but over the pandemic. Mm-hmm. He's, of course, the Amazon CEO, so, um, you know, they're doing quite well. They're not affected by this COVID. As a matter of fact, their business is taking off because of it. Nobody wants to go shopping, so they, or can't go shopping, so they buy the boxes line up uh, all along the soups here in New York of Amazon boxes. But it's, the bifurcation is, it may, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like a doomsayer, but at some point, there's got to be a break. I mean, you know, 
people people are going hungry right now. Mm-hmm. They're lining it, like I said, they're lining up for the food banks, they're lining up for this, and yet the 1% are flourishing. They're not even standing still. They're growing their wealth. Look at the stock market. At record highs, at the same time, you have record unemployment, and you have record number of bankruptcies of businesses. So, of course, the stock market's the only place you're going to have any kind of wealth gain for anybody, even 401ks, because there's nowhere else to put your money. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the remarks that Biden, you know, on the 12th, just a couple of days ago, when he was introducing his new vice presidential running mate, Kamala Harris, basically these words of just give me a fair shot. He's he's talking on behalf of the working class, allegedly. You know, working families need someone on their side since they certainly do not have such a thing with the president, President Trump that will change under the Biden-Harris administration. But just to get back to this theme, that's exactly what did not occur under the 2008-2015 period of time in which this wealth transfer occurred. There are a number of economists that pointed this out. Emmanuel Size, Thomas Piketty, and Gabriel Zuckman, again, around the time that you were writing your article uh, back in December, actually a little bit later, December of 2016, December 6, 2016, they were indicating from 1980 to 2014, none of the growth in per adult national income went to the bottom 50%, while 32% went to the middle class, which was defined as adults between the median and the 90th percentile, and 68% went to the top 10%, of of which 36% of that went to the top 1%. But just the economy was just not delivering and has not been delivering to, as you indicated with your opening comments, to the disenfranchised half of people of this country, at least, for an entire generation. And folks are wondering how President Trump got elected. That is how a system that fails to deliver and meet the basic needs of its citizens, over half of its citizens, is illegitimate. The -the on-the-ground economic situation was unsustainable back in 2016. This is all before the COVID virus, I might add, which has, of course, aggravated these things. I guess that, to me, is is really kind of the, the crux of the issue as to when you look at people taking to the streets and protest for Black Lives Matter. And so many of the folks are white, and they are obviously, I think, moved not just by the immorality of, of the black lives, how African Americans have been treated in this country, but are also feeling the pain themselves. I mean, as we shift to today, you've indicated that what used to be the greatest wealth transfer in the history of our country may get superseded by what's going on under the Trump administration. Is Can you elaborate on that? Is that mainly connected to his the tax break, too? And that was the other thing I really was going to ask you to speak to, is that the solution to reversing this wealth inequality and have it go in the in a more positive direction and basically have decent paying jobs, create decent paying jobs and those types of things, and its connection to our tax system and and ways that so much Oxfam was pointing out how much money was hidden in in overseas accounts. Again, the January 2016 Oxfam report, an economy for the 1%, was indicating that the richest 1% had more wealth than the rest of the world combined 
and that a global network of tax havens further enables the richest individuals to hide $7.6 trillion. That was back in 2016. You can just imagine what that $7.6 trillion of hidden tax revenue is now, what number that must be. We need to take a quick break. We are visiting with Michael Gray, and when we come back, we'll have Michael address these questions. 